Well, welcome back to Chaplain Chad's podcast. We are going to um, look at Galatians chapter 3 today. It is entitled, Stand Firm in Faith. Stand Firm in Faith. A theologian, Bingle, describes the language of Galatians chapter 3 as a sum and a marrow of Christianity. In these verses, Paul states that he would now have to prove, uh, states what he now had to prove, that the only way for anyone, Jew or Gentile, to be declared righteous before God is through a personal faith in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at today, in reality, the a couple of the solas of Christianity. In grace alone are we saved, or by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Today we're going to look at that faith. What does that mean? What does that look like? So Paul, Paul is really going to tell us and remind us that um, all the New Testament writers believed that the Old Testament scriptures are divinely inspired. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul mentions that. He says that all scripture is God-breathed, meaning that God breathed out everything that was in the scriptures. It's an easy scripture to remember because it is uh, 3.16. We often relate numbers with numbers. Uh, and uh, that would be um, 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. My bad. Uh, sometimes I get ahead of myself. When we think of 3.16, we often think of John 3.16. Well, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, which is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And remember, as Paul and Peter and James and John and Matthew and Mark uh, were writing these books of the New Testament, all they had to go on was the Old Testament. So we need to remember that all Scripture is error-free and inspired. We also need to remember uh, that, uh, that Paul was not doing theology in abstraction, but he was writing to it in a particular context, a particular setting of which uh, there is no partial awareness. And then finally, we must remember that it is important that the Holy that we remember that the Holy Spirit has inspired every single word of Scripture, including the more obscure and difficult passages, for the benefit, for our benefit. We must remember that. So let us look at Galatians chapter three. Paul is going to use in. Uh, the first five verses, a uh, personal argument um, to prove his point that faith alone is the way we're saved. Verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This, is, uh, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit of the works of the law? Or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? Verse 5. 
Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he not? Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul is, is asking them to to give an account. He's asking us to think about our salvation uh, experience. Notice that Paul uses several interesting words that, that we don't often see uh, used in Scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say that if we call the brother uh, a fool, we have already committed murder and we are bound for hellfire. And Paul says, you foolish or stupid or senseless or you silly person. Uh, J.B. Phillips says that you could actually reinterpret this passage to say, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you cannot be so idiotic. And what Paul was trying to say is, look guys, you know what you've experienced. Here, Paul, Paul has already gone in chapter 1 and said, hey, why are you running away from this faith? Why are you running away from believing in Jesus to doing something in Jesus? Why do you think that at one time you could believe and be saved, now you have to get circumcised to be saved? Paul is saying, are you really that idiotic? It's like asking someone that you that you know who was in church and and, and, and they got saved and, and they their lives changed and then over the years what happened is their faith became dull. They they've lost that joy of their salvation. They they decided that it wasn't enough just to believe. They 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 had to go and sacrifice. They had to go and uh, uh, perform certain uh, practices in order to know they're saved. I, I remember uh, in college, I had went back home to uh, to Jacksonville, Florida, and I, I went to this bookstore, this Christian bookstore, and this lady and I was talking, and, and she goes, oh, you're not saved because you don't speak in tongues. I, whether I speak in tongues is one thing, but to make speaking in tongues or prophecy or any other act is uh, is denying that faith by grace is salvation. And Paul says uh, Paul uses that word foolish. It's moros in the Greek, and it's often used in Jesus' parables in Matthew five twenty two and Matthew seven twenty six and Matthew twenty five two. Moros refers to someone who is mentally deficient or who plays the fool. Uh, They've been taken for a ride, particularly in the moral and the spiritual realm. These, uh, the Galatians at one time accepted that all I have to do is believe and follow Jesus. And then they got intimidated by these false teachers, these Judaizers, who says, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And that's just, uh, Paul is, uh, who, who bewitched you? Who made you feel foolish for believing in faith? Believing by faith. Paul goes on and he uses another word. He uses 
antios, which is quite differently, but suggests the actions of one who cannot think, but fails to use his or her powers of perception. I, I like the statement that I read years ago uh, when asked, uh, when Helen Keller was asked, what's the greatest tragedy in life? And her response was, uh, if you don't know who Helen Keller is, or is she uh, was blind and deaf and or blind and, and, and mute, uh, deaf. Uh, and she, she was asked, what's the greatest tragedy in all of human history? And she said, to have eyes and not be able to see. We, we see what we see because it's what we've been told to see. Because we live in this world and we want to live by this world. We don't want to see the spiritual aspects of this life. We want to see the physical. But Paul tells us, again, that we're to live by faith, not by sight. Paul says, guys, you've got to use your eyes. You, you've got to open your eyes, your spiritual eyes, and not your physical eyes here. And he continues on with this personal uh, personal argument. Uh, who caused you? Who caused you to, to believe in this? Who, who bewitched you? Uh, this word is found nowhere else in, in the New Testament. The, the, world, the word literally means to give someone an evil eye, to cast a spell, to fascinate. In the original sense of the word, meaning to bring evil upon one um, and to lead astray by evil arts. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're a male... And you've been told that, that you can believe in Jesus and go to heaven simply by having faith in him and following his, his words and his commands and his way of life. And someone else comes and tells you, well, that's great, but you also have to be circumcised. That would be an evil eye. And Paul is saying, guys, you've already suffered this. Not only have you already suffered this humiliation of these people coming to you and looking down upon your faith, but he goes, now you're willing to bend to their needs, their desires, their requests. Paul says, uh, he uses a, a unique word He's here. He goes, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed. Paul was saying, I preach to you in such a way that I almost made a billboard for it. You could literally see the movie of Jesus being crucified on the cross. I have portrayed him in such a way that you saw him as if you watched him die on the cross. Paul, Paul is, is giving us a, a three-pronged argument here. He, he's, he's saying, first of all, th that you, you heard Jesus preached. You, you heard me, and the words that I use and the descriptions that I use painted a portrait that should have stuck into your brain, into your mind. Paul said that Jesus was clearly portrayed before your eyes. It's, it's, it's writing. It's so vivid. It's so public. Uh, this word clearly carries... Uh, the meaning of to display publicly on a placard. That's what Paul is saying. The vividness of that. Now, Paul continues. And he goes, look guys, you received this Christ. You received him by simply hearing and obeying. 
You have begun in the Spirit. You had received that Spirit. That Spirit made you whole. Paul continues on and he uses another argument. He uses the argument of, in verses 6 through 10, he uses the argument of Scripture. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed and it was accounted for him righteousness, therefore know uh, that, the, that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. So then he rose, uh, then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 10. For as many of, of as many as are of the works of the law and under the curse, it is written, Cursed is anyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of them. Paul is using the argument of Scripture. He goes back to the forefathers. He goes back to the to the author, the father, the patriarch of our salvation. Now what's interesting about this is that Paul talks about Abraham who was justified by faith before the law. As we will see uh, in the next chapter, it's 400 years. 450 years. Before Abraham was even circumcised, he was counted righteous. Paul is using the scriptural arguments. In verse 6, he ends with two conclusions. Uh, one, he focuses on Abraham's faith and that the blessing comes through him over against the curse of the law that Jesus was born through his death, the cross. In verses 15 through 25, he continues on with the, the argument uh, up to the theme that the law and discusses its foreordained purpose. Paul is saying that we are justified, we as Gentiles, because he was made, that is, uh, uh, Abraham was made righteous before he was circumcised circumcision was a, a sign it was a mark uh, it was a seal I, not really a seal it's more of a sign and, and it separated the Jews weren't the only ones during those days that had circumcision most of the major nations back then had circumcision but this circumcision was something that was done and requested by God to set the Jews apart but Abraham was reckoned faithful and just and righteous before the, the, uh, the circumcision. And God says that all nations through you, Abraham, are going to be blessed. He doesn't say all Jewish nations. He doesn't say all Jewish people. He simply says that you are going to be the one by which all nations will be blessed. And through Abraham, all nations were uh, come uh, into. Notice that also he says it is the faith just as Abraham believed 
He was hearing by faith, and only those who are the faith are, are of the faith are the sons of Abraham. There is a belief today that Abraham is standing before the gates of hell to ensure that no Jew will ever make it to heaven or to, to hell. Because they believe that if you are a physical Jew, if you're a descendant from the Jewish people, that you don't go to hell. And what Paul was saying is he's arguing against that. He goes, even Scripture denies that. He says, it's not every Jew that's promised heaven. It is only those who have faith. So there's a great theological debate that continues on to this day. To who are the Jews? Did the church take the place of the Jews of being God's chosen people? Well, I think Paul makes that argument pretty soundly here, simply saying that if you are of the faith, not of the race, but of the faith, you are sons of God. You are blessed because you are of the faith. You simply show the same faith that Abraham had. And going to that scriptural argument, Paul was coming from Genesis chapter 15, 6. Where he says, he believed, meaning Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness. Paul was continually going back to the Old Testament. We must also remember that the Old Testament is divine. We're continuing through. Paul finally brings another argument. Verses 11 through the end of the chapter, he goes into another argument let's read it he goes but that that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith yet the law is not of faith but the man who does them shall live by them Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law becoming the curse for us for it is written curse is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak to you in a manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls it, to, annuls or adds to it. Now to, to Abraham and to his seed, the promises were made. He does not say, and to the seeds, with an S, as to many, but to the one, and your seed, who is Christ. And I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, that should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgression. Until the seed, capital seed, capital S, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. It is the law then against the promise of God, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which would have given life truly righteousness would have been made by the law but scripture has confined has confined all under sin and the promise 
by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were all kept guarded by the law, kept for the faith which came afterwards. Therefore the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. After faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Paul is using the argument of the seed. He is pointing again that it isn't works. It is not even uh, Abraham. It, it, it's Abraham. It's not Isaac, but it's Jesus. And why is it Jesus? Because Jesus did something that nothing else could do. He did something that the circumcision could not do. The circumcision made a sign The Jesus made a seal. Jesus sealed us with the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, he goes on and he goes, not only is it the seed, but he goes, the law only pointed out to us that we can't keep the law. It's a tutor. It showed us how enabled uh, in we were to keep the law, incapable of keeping the law. He goes, that law showed us that we needed someone greater than the law. And it was Jesus. And he goes and he goes, that Jesus hung on a tree for us. He became sin who knew no sin. And all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. I hope you have put your faith in Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to do so simply by saying, Jesus, be my Lord. Amen. Thank you.